Hey there, welcome. Welcome to Advancing the Mission. This is where we keep you informed and up to date on what is happening in local outreach, global missions, and church multiplication through the lens of County Line Church. And I am Outreach Pastor Chris Kazmarek, and I am actually walking you over to the luncheon for the, uh, for the Children of Promise. So that is already underway. That's already underway, and we are, we're going get it, to get it recorded. So um, we're going to just join you over there. So we are heading to the, the high school room where Kyle Hayes, uh, development director for Children of Promise, has already started the presentation. So yeah, we're going to put this in the back, and we are going to see what he's going to talk about today. So here we go. questions. Thank you. Ooh, a microphone. Um, and hello to all of you watching this later. I was trained during the pandemic, I have to say that, to the camera before I preach. Okay, question one. What is the mission statement of Children of Promise? Okay, it may or may not be in the room with us, so it shouldn't be too hard. But make sure you mark this down so you can keep track because you're going to grade yourself at the end of our time. A, feeding the poor. B, making wholeness possible. Or C, reach one, teach one. Which of these is the mission statement of Children of Promise? Okay, so just write that down to yourself. We're going to do about five of these at the time, then I'll give you answers, so don't panic. First time I ever did this, I waited till the end, and people were stressed. People were sweating. They were like, you should have, and so I completely changed how I do this and do it, do it every five. Okay, how many years have we been in operation? If you were listening carefully in service today, I told you this, but how many years have we been operating? A, 10 years, B, 20 years, or C, 30 years? How many years has Children of Promise existed? 10, 20, 30. Okay? Number three. How many countries have a CFP program? A, 31, B, 20, or C, 16? And this number is actually about to change right now, but I'll tell you about that here in a minute. A, 31, B, 20, or C, 16? Okay? Approximately how many children are in our program? Currently around the world. Always changing, of course, with graduations and that, so, that sort of thing. A, 750 children. B, 4,500 children. Or C, 10,000. How many kids? And number five, what is the core four? Okay, this is, this is our rubric for how we do sponsorship. We're going to talk about this more in a second. But what do you think it might be? A, food, water, clothing, hygiene. B, nutrition, education, healthcare, discipleship. Or C, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You could argue that is a core four, but what is our core four? Okay, let's give you some answers as we talk through these. Our mission statement is making wholeness possible. So back to our answers, that was number, or B, B one is B. Um, I'll come back to that in a second. But our mission statement is making wholeness possible. This comes out of the Old Testament, um, of this idea of shalom. Shalom in the Hebrew means peace. But it doesn't mean like peace, not war. It means peace, completeness, wholeness, this, f this full humanity, that God wants all people to run towards their full potential in their own context. This is what we believe in, and it's what we make all our decisions by. So I love to tell churches that we are not a feeding organization. I'm going to give you a little clue on the next one. We're not an education or healthcare organization. We're not a discipleship organization. We are all of those things. We are a wholeness organization. 
We do all of those every month of the year around the world for about as much as a pizza night costs your family. We can do that for a kid for a month. It's pretty staggering when you think about it. So that's where this idea comes from out of the Old Testament, that we want to be a people for the whole child. Uh, Let's go back and give you some more answers. So number two, we've been operating since 1992. For the math, uh, people who circle with math, that is 30 years. So C, 30, 30 years. I won't tell you how old I was in 1992. Um, Number three, how many countries have a Children of Promise program? The answer a few months ago was A, 31, but it is rapidly changing. So I'm excited to announce this to you today. If you may have caught this in the service, but um, we only go where we're invited. Some people may think, so how do you start a program, Kyle, in another country? Well, it's really simple. We are invited by National Church of God leadership. It's that simple. We go um, because they see needs in their community that they think we can help them meet through sponsorship and through other program initiatives. And so as of last February, we launched our 31st program in Brazil, and that's just that's up and running now. The first 20 kids have been sponsored there, which is so exciting. And actually, just in the last few months, we have announced, actually last month we announced, three new countries that we're launching in the next year. Part of our Christmas initiative you'll hear me talk about today is to help get these off and running. And they're very exciting places in the world. Um, The first is in Zimbabwe, Southern Africa. We have programs on every side of Zimbabwe. And we have a friend there named Zingai Guni, the national leader, who's invited us in. And actually, the first children um, ever were sponsored there just in the last month. There's four children that have been sponsored there now. The second is an interesting place, Liberia, West Africa. Um, It is a program that's in development right now, but we're hoping to launch by next spring or summer. And the third one that's really, really exciting because we did not expect this or see it coming is Pakistan. Um, If you don't know, the Church of God has a new and very large presence in Pakistan because of a, uh, basically a leader, his name's Samuel George, who's a pastor, he brought almost a couple hundred churches into the movement in one handshake. Um, They were a movement there and they joined the Church of God movement and they've already built an amazing committee and invited us in to start the program. We'll probably start next May there. So that's how we get to 34 now. That's all just in the last month, so it's a very exciting time. A very, uh, we're in a big growth season right now at Children of Promise, which is something I'll talk about a lot today. Question four, approximately how many kids? Okay, the answer to that is 4,500. It's always changing. Sometimes it pings up close to 5,000, um, but we'll have hundreds of kids graduate from high school in a couple months, and uh, then it drops down. You get the math. And we'll talk about more how new children come into the program a little bit later. And question five, the core four, our main tenets of how we do our, as we operate, is B, nutrition, education, healthcare, discipleship. So let's talk about that really quick. Uh, Where is that? Okay, I'll come back to those. So I refer to this as the secret sauce. It's very simple. Our programs are very contextualized. And what I mean by that is people often come up to me, we talked about this earlier in the lobby. People will come up to me and say, what's what's the program look like um, around the world? The answer is it looks completely different in every country. And this is a huge reason um, why I came to work for Children of Promise. I love this about our organization. It is hyper-contextualized. We do not tell the local leadership how they should run their program. They decide through using the core four as their, as their compass. So what do I mean by that? The core four is regular nutrition each month for them and their family. So in some countries, they'll get a bag of rice and some other goods that last them for a month. But in other places, it'll be something very different. Like in uh, Malawi last week where I was there, they get a big bag of maize. If you've been to Africa at all, 
the staple food is ugali. It's like a little ball of dough, and that's, they use that, and they eat that at every meal. So we give them maize. Um, in fact, I was kind of blown away. In this really tiny village we were in, they, they operate, they give it every three months a bag of, of maize to the kids. They were 110 kilogram bags, very heavy, and these little fifth grade girls were carrying them home on their heads. I couldn't believe it. The men were dragging them like this. They're that heavy. And they came up and just, and just carried them back to their place because that's, that's what they do. That's their life. And so that's how we were operate around the world. Education. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to, I have a horrible habit in this train of spoiling future questions. So I'm going to be really careful not to spoil all these. But education every month, we give access to school, which is a huge part of what we do. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Healthcare when the children need it. And this is all different issues. Eyesight, we had a boy in Uganda once I was interviewing who had a completely rotten tooth. We were able to get him surgery the next morning. It was so desperate. Um, sometimes it's simple as um, nagging a headache or injuries. We have a boy in um, the Dominican Republic who was, his leg was crushed in a motorcycle accident. And his mother told us that he would have just limped the rest of his life. That was his options. Because when you're living on less than $2 a day, you can't afford health care. And because he was a sponsored child, he was able to get surgery he needed, and he's doing well now. As, I, as I'm speaking to you, we probably have three or four serious cases around the world. We have a boy in Ecuador who has a, a nagging brain issue. He's had multiple surgeries we've been able to help him with. Um, we have a little girl in India who just fell and hit her head yesterday. I actually got messages on WhatsApp. And because she's sponsored, she was able to get seen quickly and get the care she needs. So the health care is there when the children need it, and our local leadership decide on that. And, of course, the discipleship piece. Because we believe in shalom, wholeness, we believe that the core four would be incomplete without the spiritual component. So the ch- every program in the world where we operate, it's run through the local church congregation. We're going to talk about this a lot more because this is one of the biggest uniquenesses about us as opposed to other sponsorship agencies, which we love. I used to sponsor kids through World Vision. Some of you probably sponsored through Compassion. They're great programs. We're just a little bit different in the fact that we only operate through the local church congregations and volunteers. So we'll talk about that in a second. Um, any questions so far? I'm kind of flying right now because we're on the we're on the base level right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because we go where we're invited. We, we don't ever parachute in and try to start a church or anything. Like, we're going to operate through local churches. And as I was mentioning, our, in, our, um, the pastor and his team who's inviting us, they have a huge network of churches all over Pakistan already. So it, it really is quite quick for us. Starting a new program, like I'll give you the example of Brazil, is this simple. My boss and I, we flew down there. Uh, I only really went to make videos because my wife and I do all the social media video stuff. So we went down and um, we spent time with them. We met their committee of five. That's our recommendation is they find five people in the commu- commu- community, um, community to help get started. And um, we helped make sure they got their bank account started and that's it. That's how quickly we can start a program. And we train the local leaders in the ins and outs. We have a startup manual that they receive. And in fact, uh, our director there was amazing because we said goodbye to them on like a Friday night, flew back to Rio de Janeiro to come home and the next morning when we were in Rio, he messaged us and he had already translated the whole 50-page manual into Portuguese because he was so excited. 
I can't tell you how much of a game changer this program is for local pastors around the world. It's one of the things that even as a pastor who traveled, I didn't realize. It is a massive tool for outreach for their community, and they are very excited when we're able to come and be a part of their church community and their outreach. So he was pumped, and he translated the whole thing in one night, which blew our minds. Um, and so we love working with local leaders around the world like them. And so as an advocate, you need to know this phrase. This is one of our key phrases and one of our uniquenesses. We are locally shaped and globally supported. Now, who is more qualified to make decisions on a local level of how a kid in the Dominican Republic should receive goods and food in their school, or a child in uh, Paraguay, or a child in the Philippines? Are, am I, as an American guy who's not been to some of those countries better, or is the local pastors and volunteers more qualified? This sounds like a dumb question, right? <laughs> but it's not a question that's always asked in global work. I want, I want you to hear me say that. It's not always asked. And what I love about working with Children of Promises is after, through uh, usually at least a year of relationship, and many of these leaders we already know, we operate on trust. We work together with them, trusting that they know what's best for the kids in their own community. And then we help them uh, triage issues. If there's a problem, we work things out. Like, give you an example, in the Dominican Republic, we require receipts for everything that's purchased because we're a nonprofit and that's how we operate. Um, but in the Dominican Republic, one thing we kept hearing from all the children was they weren't getting regular healthy foods. They were just getting, they were getting food, but it wasn't always healthy food. And my, my friend and I were sitting there thinking, they live on a tropical island. Like, we were seeing fruit everywhere. How is this possible? So we asked the question, on every trip we spend time with our directors doing kind of an audit of the program, and we asked, why are they having a hard time getting healthy food? And they said, with the money that we are getting from the core four each month, we can't afford the healthy food in the market. And because we can't, we can't get receipts at the um, markets in the street, we can't buy that food, even though it's cheaper. And we, in that meeting we said, you can. You can hand write us receipts from the markets in the street and get healthy food for the kids. And it was like a major light bulb, like bing. And this is how we work globally with each other. We go back and forth, we spend time with one another, we triage issues like this, and now the children of the Dominican Republic are getting tons of healthy food every month because of a simple thing with receipts. And they were trying to do their best, we were trying to do our best, and this is why we visit them on the ground, so we can uh, figure out issues like this. But they are the ones who decide how it's done. And on our website at childrenofpromise.global slash about us, I'm going to say this a lot today, you need to know this, this is our website, URL, childrenofpromise.global. But on the, under the About Us click, you can see every country we're in currently, and you can see a photo um, and a name for all of our directors. Many of our directors are also national leaders of their country. Like I was just with Myla Sandow, who is the um, national director of her country, of Zambia, but she's also our director on the ground for Children of Promise. But we also have people who are Church of God missionaries, like Bobby and Jenny Meisel. They started the Children of Promise program in Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa, and are in the process right now of handing it off to a local leader. Um, so it looks different in every country, but it's one of the things I love most about Children of Promise is we work through local volunteers. There are no Kyle people around the world doing the work. It's just local volunteers, which means we know the community well, and we're empowering the local church to do the work, and we're able to get a high percentage of every dollar to the children because we don't have staff to pay around the world. Any questions about that? This is one of the big ones, because at every church I visit, people say, what makes you different? That's it. So we work through local volunteers doing the work and helping their communities grow. 
All right, I want to ask my first pop quiz question. This is for a t-shirt. You can pick it out later. Where, and, and I don't think Chris should be able to answer this because I think he knows the answer. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you don't, but I think you do. Okay, where in the world is the Church of God movement the biggest, population-wise? Where in the world is the Church of God movement the fastest growing and have the most people? Just raise your hand and guess. Yeah. Africa. Okay, Africa. Anybody else have a guess? India. India. China. China. Okay, I'll just be fine. You're right, it's Africa. <laughs> so you can pick a shirt out. And you have a Buckeye shirt on. Good job. I'm from Dayton. So, um, anyways, yeah, a lot of people are surprised by this. I'm talking about the, every person in the Church of God movement, of which all of us in this room are part of by attendance at a church like County Line. 49% of the Church of God movement is in Africa. 49. That's a half. It's pretty staggering. And I'm telling you right now, a lot of these churches that are growing so rapidly around the African continent. Children of Promise is the outreach tool. Because every month, these children and their families are meeting the Sunday school teachers. They're meeting the pastors. They see them every month for distribution. So they see them as people, Jesus' people, people of hope that they can trust, and churches are growing because of this. This is one of the big light bulbs I didn't even realize until I started working here and saw it on the ground. Churches are growing rapidly around the church of God world because of Children of Promise. Okay, so 30-plus countries, over 1,000 volunteers make this happen every month through distributing goods to children, checking on them, knowing them by name. And this is another uniqueness. What's my next one here? Okay, one quick story about this is another reason I love it. This is another uniqueness. Many um, sponsorship programs, and this is not a bad thing. They're just much bigger than Children of Promise. They distribute goods regionally. So when you sponsor a child, the money flows into a pot in a region, and then it's distributed by staff on the ground. Um, Children of Promise does not operate that way. We trace dollars to each child, like literally to the kid. And we do that because we believe in relationship first. Let me give you an example. Um, During the pandemic, we unfortunately had a child who was um, taken. taken. She was on her way from mother's to grandmother's house and disappeared. Before mother and grandmother even realized this, our national director of that country, not a volunteer, the national director, realized something was wrong and personally tracked the girl down in a brothel, broke into the brothel, took the girl home, and then took them to court. And and the guy's in jail now who, who took this girl away. I like to tell that story, even though it's a sad one, because of this. This was our national director. There are hundreds of children in her purview but she knew this kid was missing. And that's a uniqueness about Children of Promise. As our program, oh, sorry, it's the microphone. It's okay. As, as our programs grow, we require volunteers to grow. For every child, we, or every five children, we encourage them to have one new volunteer. So if you visit some of our bigger programs, which I'm not gonna say right now because that's a pop quiz question, um, you'll see lots and lots of volunteers. Our programs that grow big are the ones that know how to build and delegate to lots of people around the country because we believe relationship is so vital that the children always have a trusted adult they can go to because i'm telling you many of them live very very hard lives very hard lives and they need trusted adults they can talk to okay that's the secret sauce we already talked about that let's do some more questions all right and don't forget to get your t-shirt later sir i don't know your name but terry jerry terry Terry with a T. T-shirt is yours. Okay. Um, number six. Which of these is not a Children of Promise country? They're starting to get harder now. Okay. Sorry. I warned you. 
Okay, A, Ecuador, B, Malawi, or C, Sri Lanka. Which of these three is not a country that we have been invited into yet? Ecuador, Malawi, or Sri Lanka? Okay, number seven. What two hurdles do Children of Promise kids face in their pursuit of education? This is a big one for what we do. A, transportation and food. B, school fee and school uniform. Or C, school books and nearby schools. What is the biggest thing we hear when we visit the global programs that is hurting kids getting into school? Okay, transportation, school fees, you heard me. Or C, school books, whoops. Okay, how much does an average sponsorship cost? Okay, how much does a sponsorship? We're gonna talk about other ways that people can partner with Children of Promise. We don't just do sponsorship, but our traditional mode is either A, 43 a month, B, 40 a month, or C, $32 a month. Okay, number nine. How do children receive these funds each month? Okay, how are the, how's the money actually getting to the kids? A, direct deposit into their family's bank account. B, cash. Or C, resources only through the local programs. How are we getting the cash to them? Honestly, one of the trickiest things we do is send money. It is quite complicated in certain countries, as you might have guessed. And number 10, we'll stop here. What do, you mean, what do we mean by locally shaped, globally supported? I hope you don't miss this, because we just talked about it. A, local leaders on the ground, so global, local, shape the program to their context. B, local leaders make all policy decisions for Children of Promise globally. Or C, money is distributed regionally, not to each local program. What do we mean by locally shaped, globally supported? Okay? All right. We'll spend some time on that in a second. Let's do some quick questions. How's everybody doing? You feeling pretty good about the answer so far? Okay, okay. All right, we'll see. All right, which of these is not a country we've been invited into? C, Sri Lanka. The Church of God does have a presence in Sri Lanka, but we have not yet been invited in there. Even though we know the missionaries well, they're doing a great, great work there. Question seven, what are the two hurdles children face? The two biggest, although all of these could be on the list, by far are B, school fees and school uniforms. Let me give you an example of a country you might travel to next year, Botswana. Botswana is the trip that Chris is planning for next July. Highly encourage you to go on a trip. We'll talk about travel in a minute. But in Botswana, there's an interesting thing. Every kid can go to school for free in Botswana. Amazing, right? Government program. So you may be wondering, where does the education piece of the core four go? It's very simple. You cannot go to those schools unless you have a school uniform. And this is the poverty level our kids live in. They can't afford that. That's simple. They cannot afford a school uniform, so they don't go to school. That might sound crazy to you, but that is the reality for these children, and many of them don't go. One of my favorite stories um, is from Ecuador, and it's a young boy named Jonathan. He's actually 26 now, but Jonathan was one of these kids. He could not get into school in Quito, where he grew up, very poor neighborhood, um, because he couldn't afford the school fees or school uniforms. Um, he was sponsored by a woman named Sydney, and um, she's from Louisiana. And he very quickly was excelling in school. He flew through elementary, flew through secondary school, very, very smart guy. His sponsor helped him jump the gap into university on her own volition. This is not something we do, necessarily. She helped pay for his university. And he got a degree in mechanical engineering and now has a patent that he invented an invention for threshing. And it's being used around the country, something that he developed and designed himself. I love to tell that story very simply because that would not have happened. Full stop. No education. And that's the reality. This is a very smart kid who's inventing things now 
with a degree he got that he would not have even gotten into elementary school. And that's the case for most of our kids around the world. I have been lucky enough in my travels to meet um, doctors, dentists, um, translators. I mentioned on stage a safari guide I met in Tanzania, which was so cool. She went to safari school and now is leading safaris. Um, a guy in Tanzania who is a PhD and teaches at university level, same story, could not get into elementary school, but his sponsorship gave him access. My favorite analogy for this work we do is what my grandmas both taught me as a little kid. At family gatherings, they would both say to me, Kyle, run out to the porch and get a few more chairs because there's a few more people coming. And that's in, that in one sentence is what we do. We make more room at the table for kids who don't have access. It's that simple. We give them access and then we let them run for their own, towards their own God dreams. We don't dictate that. Kids can be whoever they want to be, but we just get them access to the table, whether it's the doctor's table, the desk at school, the nutrition table, the food table, or the altar. We make sure they have access to the table so that they can run towards wholeness, shalom, that I talked about before. Okay, eight. How much do sponsorships cost? $32 a month, C. And I love to tell people, I don't know how much pizza costs up here, but for my family, we can kind of eat pizza one night a week for 32-ish, 35 bucks. I want you to think about that for a second. One meal for my family, $32-ish, probably more actually, if we're honest, with breadsticks and all the jazz. We, yeah, you gotta get breadsticks, right? Um, that is covering a child and their whole family for food, education, healthcare if they need it, and discipleship. Crazy, crazy. It's amazing how far the US dollar can go. And I'll share a story later about university that will blow your mind in India. But it, the money can go a very, very long way. Okay, how do children receive support funds? They receive them um, through resources only through their local programs, C. We obviously are not sending money directly to people in poverty. That would not be a good idea when they're living in such drastic ways. They need support in a systemized way. But again, back to my earlier point, our local leaders help make those decisions because they know what the people need the most. Um, it, I shared on stage about the famine, or not famine, a um, drought. There's a drought, and honest, I didn't go into detail, but a huge flood washed away most of the crops in eastern Zambia. Very tragic, very poor place, one of the poorest I've been personally. Um, and when I was sitting there interviewing the kids, I heard the director talking to the, the local volunteer. Normally, our program gives those kids beans and rice because that's special there. They can't get access to beans and rice. And so it's a treat, and the family loves the beans <coughs> and rice. But because times are so tough right now, I heard the local volunteer say to our national director, we need to switch back to, to Ugali or to the, the maize because they can stretch it way further. And so that's an example. We don't say it's always beans and rice, forever. That's crazy. They're in a hard time and they need extra help so they're able to release some of those funds. And there's even times throughout the year if there's a drought or some other tragedy, which we unfortunately deal with every year through our emergency fund, um, that kids can get even extra help when their families need it. So, number 10, um, locally shaped, globally supported is A, local leaders shape the program to their context. Okay, how are you doing so far? People just nod ahead, doing okay, doing okay? They're going to get harder. It's, oh, 10 out of 10. Wow, and you're sitting in the front. That's because they talk to you. That's true, you got a lot of... That's why you were talking to me. <laughs> I was trying to get intel. You know, the t-shirts aren't that expensive. You could just buy one. Okay. All right. Any questions so far before we keep going? 
We want to keep moving just to honor your time, but any questions at all, you don't have to hesitate. Well, I want to share real quickly about the different ways Children of Promise works. We put this little graphic together um, last year to help people understand we are more than just sponsorship. We will always do child sponsorship. It's our bread and butter. It's what we've done since 1992, starting with 10 kids from uh, India and the Philippines. But what, what we do um, is actually much bigger than that, and even in the last year, it's changed drastically. I'm probably going to spoil some questions here, but I'm going to go ahead and dive into this. So this is the core four, of course, and it's not just what you might think. In some places, nutrition could mean access to clean water. When we were in Tanzania this summer with Chris, and my family was there as well, we saw families in one of the villages we were at, at the riverbed, digging down four, five, six feet to get water out of the riverbed because the river was dry that time of year. That's a reality for them. So the access to water is not easy. We take so much for granted that we can just go turn on the spigot. For many of these families, it means carrying heavy, heavy um, water back to the house every day from the riverbed that they had to dig out. Okay? So nutrition can mean very many things depending on what the children need, as I share. Education can mean very many things depending on the needs. Healthcare, it, 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 it stretches out. One of my favorite stories on discipleship in Myanmar, uh, formerly Burma, one of my first trips I went on as a volunteer for Children of Promise, I met a young blind guitarist. I'm going to say that again. Blind guitarist. <laughs> now, on our YouTube page, you can actually see a video of this guy. His name's Elijah. His English name is Elijah. Um, he's an amazing kid who, as a young, young guy, he um, was already very talented at music. And our program helped him through discipleship funds to send him to a special school for the blind where he could learn better in the context he needed. But he actually, through his training, and we also helped pay for some tutoring for music, he started a band of all blind musicians that travel around Myanmar, which is a very, very contentious place right now, if you don't know. And they, they travel around singing songs about justice and fairness. And I, I wish, it sounds, this sounds like a made up story. But it's really not. I've met him. I spent time with him. I filmed him telling this story. And here's the craziest thing about it as a sidebar. He sings most of these songs in English, which I don't understand. He does not speak English at all. He memorizes the sounds and sings it. You have to watch the video. It's on our, it's on our YouTube page. It's amazing. But through the program, we saw a kid who was special and had some extra talent. And through the director's uh, um, suggestions, we were able to help him out. That's another thing the discipleship piece can do. And there are many stories like Elijah's. But how do we get the money there? We sponsor kids, $32 a month. Already talked about that. I think everybody in the room gets that piece. We also have what we call the Making It All Happen Fund. This is the fund that helps Children of Promise operate. Now, 34 countries, lots of travel, lots of work. People are blown away when I say this normally. We have three and a half full-time equivalent in our office. There's eight of us. That's it. In the headquarters. My wife and I are a quarter of the staff. You just met, you met a quarter of Children of Promise just today. Uh, we work as the development team. We have our directors, Mike and Heather Webb. Some of you might know that name. They were regional coordinators in Africa for very many years, and they're amazing leaders. We're very thankful to work with them. And we have just a small other team around us. The Making It All Happen Fund enables us to do this work, to travel to churches like this, to visit our programs around the world, to raise more funds for the children so that more children can be helped. I'll, I'll be honest, it's a lot. This year alone, I just crossed 90,000 miles flown this year, in 2022. Just me. That doesn't even count my boss, who's flown probably more than I have. So it is a busy, busy, busy life, and the Making It All Happen Fund helps us do this work 
and get more people connected to the children. We do have an emergency fund. A lot of people don't realize that, but when there is an issue in and around one of our programs, i.e. a flood in the Philippines a few years ago, um, even human trafficking issues that I mentioned earlier that has happened, we can pull from this fund, and many churches help us in that way. Even, uh, well, actually, I'm going to the Philippines in a few weeks, and there was a huge fire. Some of you may have seen this if you follow Church of God stuff. Um, just last month, there was a big fire, and 15 of our children were impacted. Their whole house is gone. So the emergency fund can help them in those situations. Now, the big one, the one I want to spend some time on, I'm definitely going to spoil, the GAP fund. The GAP fund has literally changed everything for us. It did not exist as of a year ago, and it has created a new two-pronged approach for Children of Promise, which has revolutionized the work that we do. Um, actually, on your table is this little card. I think you all have this card. It's this little girl from uh, Costa Rica, and you can read a little bit more about it as I speak, but basically it's this simple. People who are not as necessarily attracted to child sponsorship but want to help generally, they give one-time or reoccurring gifts to the GAP Fund. The GAP Fund does three things. It pre-sponsors children. So as you might imagine, every year, based on our numbers, we tell, say you're the director in Malawi. You write to us and say, I, I'm ready for new children to be, uh, we had 35 graduates this year, I'd like some more children to be nominated. We say, well, right now we can accept 20 from you, okay? So 34 countries, that adds up, we have a waiting list, right? In the past, the waiting list was exactly what it sounds like, a waiting list. They just waited until somebody like me came to a church like this and somebody sponsored them one for one. We still do that work, of course, but the GAP Fund has enabled us to get the resources to the children while they wait. And I'm excited to tell you that in the first year of the GAP Fund, 550 children, 550, are getting monthly core four resources while we look for their long-term sponsor. So this two-prong approach has changed everything for us. And now many churches, uh, families, and individuals are donating solely to the GAP Fund instead of sponsoring. It, it's just changed everything for us. And as for me, as somebody who visits the program regularly and often meets the children who are on the waiting list, it is so life-giving to know that they're not waiting sometimes a year or two to be sponsored. So that, the GAP Fund has changed everything for us. It also protects children if their sponsor drops which does happen a few times a year. We've never dropped a child ever in our 30 years from the program because their sponsor quit giving, but the GAP Fund is helping us even more now to protect those children so they can stay in school and keep fighting for their better future. But the third thing I'm most excited about, and I mentioned earlier about India, is scholarships. Um, we just started this last year. Every year, our global directors, back to Malawi again, you say, I have a very smart child who has excelled and has passed their 12th grade exams, they want to go to university, but it's just out of reach to them. You, we have an application, and they send us this application, and then each year we're able to look at how much money is in GAP 3, we call it, which is the scholarship fund out of the GAP fund, and we can send these kids to university, nursing school, seminary. And you may be thinking, like, wow, that's a big financial leap you guys are making. Not as much as you might think. In India, our first three children ever nominated for this new GAP fund idea. We were real nervous. Our director wrote to us, and my director, Mike, and I, we were sitting there, he's like, you got three applicants, Kyle. And we were like, how much is this gonna cost? Like, we didn't know, we've never done it before. So we wrote back and said, okay, give us a total amount for a whole year of state university for the three kids. And he wrote back and said, $300. And we were like, for books? And he said, no, for all of those. We were like, for all three of them? He said, yes, all three of them, for an entire year of state university, $300. 
300 US dollars. Insane. And that story has tracked in other countries now, where we have kids going to get a nursing degree for like 400 US bucks. Crazy. Now, our goal is not to send all of our kids to university. Honestly, many of our children, are, they don't want to go to university. They want to get a trade or, a, or a start a business in town, which is something we're dreaming about for the future. It'll be called Gap 4, where children, we can help fund a child to start a, a roadside stand to sell food, which is very common. Many of their parents do that. Or to start a farm. Many of our children are farmers. Um, that, that'll be coming in the next couple years. But I just want to tell you, the Gap Fund does all three of those things very well. It helps kids get the resources now, protects kids who are already sponsored, and it's helping children, as I speak, go into that next level. Join the ranks of the kid in Tanzania who has a PhD. These are stories, these are kids out there that are ready for that kind of thing. And I want you to understand, when a kid that comes out of poverty gets a degree like that, it is a game changer, not just for them. We often view it as Americans, like, wow, they're gonna have a good job and make good money if I have a good car. Almost everywhere I've been, they go home. That money all goes flows back. In fact, I won't say who, but one of our directors, her daughter is brilliant. And I'm, I just realized this. She's brilliant. Like one of the top lawyers in her country. She was the first female accepted into an all-boys school for, for law in the history. And she was the first in her class. So now that she's graduated, she was also in the program, by the way. Now that she's graduated, she just purchased a house for the entire family. And I mean four generations of the family. This is common in the majority world. People make money and they go back and help their community. Our director of Malawi, uh, Emmanuel Masamba, he's the national pastor there, he got a degree, did really well for himself. He could have easily gone, he's traveled all over the world, he goes back to his village and gives back where our, one of our programs is at. Very common. So when you help a kid get into university, it's a game changer for everybody. Okay, any questions about that? That's a big part of what we're gonna talk about today. I want you to understand that we are more than just sponsorship. There are many ways to help Children of Promise do the work we're doing. And uh, in fact, this Christmas, we're actually announcing what we're calling a subscription to wholeness. People can give on a monthly basis, just like you'd subscribe to Netflix or whatever. Everybody subscribes to everything now, your water or your fun travel hat kit that comes in the mail. Everybody's got some kind of subscription now. You can now subscribe to wholeness as well. And you can, it's customized. If you want to do $1 a month, it'll go, and in the next month, it'll be helping kids. It's that simple. 25 cents a month could help a kid through the gap fund. It all goes to the same place. Okay, we talked about that. We talked about the gap fund. All right, any questions about the gap fund? All right. If you can't tell, I'm pretty excited about it, because it's just, it's just changed so many lives in one year. It's amazing. Okay, what time are we at? We're doing pretty good. All right, it, it's going to get harder now. I'm warning you. Some of these questions coming up, you're going to have to guess. But it's okay. It was designed that way. Don't go home and not sleep well tonight. It's really okay. Okay? I knew you don't know some of these answers when I wrote this. It's okay. Okay. Question 11. What three gaps does the gap fund assist? This one you should know. A, hunger, death, or abuse. B, nutrition, education, or health care. C, awaiting sponsorship, loss of sponsor, or education beyond secondary school. Which of those three are specifically about the gap fund we just talked about? Okay. Twelve. Local programs are run by A, one director and one assistant, B, the local church staff, C, committees of at least five, or D, all of the above. Which one of those is how we run local, local programs? All the volunteers. Okay. Thirteen. 
The staff visit every, okay, this is talking about us, me, Kyle Hayes. Our staff visit global programs A, every three years, B, every year, or C, every five years. Not counting the pandemic, kind of messed this up a little bit. Which of those do you think we visit our global programs? So I would go to Malawi, A, every three years, every year, or every five years. Remember how many of us are in the office when you make that, okay, 14. What do teams do when visiting global programs? This is talking about American teams. What do we actually do when we go? So if you're interested in Botswana, this is the question for you. A, we audit the program. B, we interview each child. C, we join the church at worship. D, we visit the homes of children. E, all of those, all of the above. What do you think? All right, I never know how long to wait. 15. Which of these is a typical emergency relief response for Children of Promise, okay? Which of these have, have we released emergency funds for in the past? A, home reconstruction, B, injury treatment, C, psychological counseling, or D, all of the above? Which of these are typical emergency relief response? Okay, I'm going to stop there and we'll go back. All right, let's do these real quick and I'll give you some commentary. Eleven. Um, the gap fund is C. It does the things we just talked about on that sheet that uh, is on your table. Okay? Twelve. Local programs are all of the above. Now, um, in our, in our like, policy, we really want them to start with five, a committee of at least five, but that doesn't always work all the way around the world. And some of our programs are small. All of our programs are very, very different from each other. In Accra, Ghana, I was there in the spring. All the children, I think there's 135 there, they're all in one church, right by the hotel, right by the beach, very hot place, hard to breathe, but it's very easy visit. You just walk across the street from the hotel, see the kids, walk back each day, great. Costa Rica, on the other hand, because it's all locally shaped, now this is not what I would have recommended, especially when you have to visit them, but there are 42 children in Costa Rica that are sponsored in 12 locations. <laughs> now is that ideal for us as visitors? No but it's locally shaped. That's where the Church of God in Costa Rica decided the needs were. And, and, and we have to respect that. They know better than we do. In fact, a cool story about Costa Rica. This is, I think, the first in our history, but we're very encouraged by this. There was a Church of God in Costa Rica who last year said, we do not want sponsorship anymore. And at first we were like, why? <laughs> like we, were, we were like nervous. But they said, we're at a place financially now as a church where we can support these children on our own and we would like the money to go to other children in Costa Rica who have the need. Amazing. We thought that was great. And so we, we talked with the national leadership. We made sure everybody's on the same page there with that. And they, we moved the funds over to other children who needed it more. Awesome story. And we hope that happens more around the world. My point is, is that this looks different everywhere, depending on the needs, the leadership types, different types of people. Was it handed off by a missionary? That's often a little bit different. That's happened in a few places. Botswana, actually, if you go next year, that was one of those places. The Stocksdales, who are Church of God missionaries, awesome leaders. They got Children of Promise started, but always the plan was to hand it off. And our national director now, her name is Tebe, and she is um, now running with the program in this next. In fact, when you guys visit in July, she will officially have taken over. So we're very excited for that. So looks a little different everywhere. 13, we visit every three years as a goal. So 34 countries, you can do the math. We go to 10 to 12 places a year. It's a lot, of, a lot of trips, and I want to talk real quick about this. We take guests on every trip. Do I want you to go to Botswana as a church? Yes, I think that's amazing, but you can go anytime, anywhere to any of these churches. My trip last week, I had two from Huntington, Indiana. You may have heard of it. 
and one from Michigan that went with me. I've been on trips with, actually in Tanzania this summer, we had people from like seven states with us. We, we take whoever wants to go to interview the children, to be present with them, spend time. Some of our bigger programs, like the Philippines next month, we need extra help. Wink, wink. I really need help. Please come with me. Um, if you're really, really eager to go on a trip, we leave next month on October 21st. Well, I almost spoiled it again. I have to be careful. There's a lot of children there, <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I'm definitely going to need help. I haven't spoiled one yet. I'm pretty proud of myself. We'll do that pop quiz in a minute. Okay. What do we actually do when we visit the kids? E, all of the above. The leader, myself, or my bosses, or other trained people, we audit the program. Oftentimes this is in the car. You should see my notes on my iPad from last week. It's embarrassingly bad. Because, as you might assume, the roads in Malawi aren't great. And so I was trying to handwrite notes. I'm like, so tell me about your distribution plan. It's like, like all over the place. It's horrible. I feel so bad for my friend who has to go through it in the office. But... Um, we, we spend time with the leaders looking for red flags, and we learn all sorts of interesting things. This has become my favorite part of the trip, and oftentimes guests even are a part of this meeting. My friends in the car got to hear all this. But listen to this. This is, this is so bizarre. Um, one of the things we're always trying to track is how does school work? Because you might think that's simple, but it is not. School around the world is so different country to country on how they break it down. And there's all sorts of weird cultural things that affect us because we want to know when kids are graduating. So we can let a sponsor know, you're like, look what you've done. You've carried this kid so far. They're now graduating from um, high school. It's not so easy. Let me give you two examples from Zambia. It blew my mind. One, in Zambia, there's a government program where a young boy, only boys, at four or five years old, can go to another farm as basically an indentured servant, kind of, and if they work for five years on the farm, they get a cow. A cow, as you might imagine, if you're very, very poor, is a big deal. Very big deal. It could be a moneymaker, you could eat it, whatever. And so this is not an option to not do this. So a lot of our kids in Zambia, they end up graduating later than other countries because they're not starting, the boys especially, they're not starting school until they're seven, eight, nine years old. But how, how are we going to tell them, no, you can't have the cow? Like, you can't do that. The other bizarre thing in Zambia, that this is so, I'm very careful not to say things like this, but I'm gonna quote my national director there. It's dumb. This is a really dumb rule. And it's really hurting so many kids in Zambia, but it's the reality. In Zambia, boys and girls take exams in sixth grade to go to seventh, in eighth grade to go to ninth, and then if they make it, not every kid does, they, they, they take an exit exam at 12th grade, very difficult exam. But here's the problem. A handful of our kids that I interviewed last week, they fail the ninth grade exam, so they can't start secondary school. Here's the thing. They have to go back and start at seventh. Can you imagine? They have to go all the way back. So sometimes my wife and I will get phone calls in the office and be like, hey, my sponsored kid is 21. Uh, is that weird? And we'll be like, well, <laughs> let's talk about that. What country are they from? Yeah, he, he's doing well in school now, but he failed his ninth grade exam years ago. All of his friends are married and have children, and he's trying to finish high school because he's failed one time. Now, in Malawi, the next-door neighbor, same breakdown of grades, not the same law. If a kid fails in ninth grade, they can retake the test two or three times even. Completely different. So these are the reasons we do these kinds of things, because you would be blown away by some of the bizarre things around the world that hold kids up. In Myanmar... They take school all the way to ninth grade in English, former British colony. They take it all the way in English. 
In ninth and 10th grade, they have to take a very difficult exam that only like 10% of children pass because it's in Burmese. Imagine taking school your whole life in English. Everything you ever learned, math, reading, science, and then in 10th grade, you have to do the same exam, but in a language that you speak, but you didn't learn any of those things in. Crazy, but this is the reality for a lot of our kids. So we learn these things on the trips by spending time with the directors and interviewing and learning about the children. Guests who come with us, we interview each child. Now, some people may think that sounds like an oversimplification. This is literally what we do. We spend time with every kid in the program. Five to seven minutes on average. We usually have a big kind of community service thing before with music. They'll sing for us, we'll do something for them. Usually there's gifts exchanged. It's kind of a whole thing, lots of fun. But then we actually sit to, we call a kid's number and we sit down with them. We ask them about how's school going? How's your health? Uh, what are your dreams after graduation? This is why I love our trips. This is data that our directors have to gather every year. But every three years, we bring help to finish it quickly for them. Which I'm telling you, in a place like Tanzania, where there's over 500 kids and they're spread out all over the country, they are very, very thankful for this. <laughs> Chris was a part of this. We were the first team ever in our 30 years to interview every child in Tanzania in two weeks. Was it, was it, was it quick? No. <laughs> it was very hard. We were all so sick of being in the car at the end. But it was a huge help to our directors. Okay? So we actually interview every child. We join the church at worship. We visit homes of children, which may sound silly if you haven't traveled much. But honestly, having done a lot of mission trips in my life, this is quite unique. A lot of teams from America, when you come in, um, you just see the kids in their best outfit at the church building, and, and you all say bye, and they go home. You don't often see them in their actual house, how they're living. And on almost every trip, we visit the homes so that our guests from America can see what the other side lives like. This is how the majority of people on the planet live, day-to-day, um, -day, mud huts, tough living, cooking on the ground. And it's I'm at, just switching gears here, it is a powerful thing for you as an American believer to see on the ground how the majority, I, I, don't, I don't know if you're noticing that word I'm using, the majority of the world lives. We're the weird ones. We're the weird ones, okay? So I love that about our trips. All right, emergency relief was D, all of the above. All three of these are actual examples from the last year. We had a, a family in Nepal, a storm destroyed their whole home. They had literally had no roof and no sidewall. And the emergency relief fund helped them fix that. Um, injury treatment, I've mentioned a few stories there. Psychological counseling was the, the, the little girl I mentioned who was abducted. We were able to get her uh, aftercare, post-care post for that, where she could talk to a therapist about that, and even move her to another high school where she could be safer. So these are the kind of customized, I hope you're catching this, the program is hyper-contextualized so that we make sure the kids are safe and growing up really well. All right, you ready to get really difficult? All right, this is the last five. This is what separates the not good guessers and the good guessers. <laughs> There's no reflection on your knowledge of Children of Promise here. But these are just some more interesting new things going on. And I'm really excited to tell you about this. In fact, I might show you a quick clip from my boss in a second. But number 16, in what ways can a donor give a gift to a child? Okay, this is a big thing about gifts. A, Christmas birthday fund. B, cash. Or C, shoebox of stuff. Okay, this is through Children of Promise. How can you give a gift to a child? A, B, or C. I think I don't need to read those again. Okay, come back to that. 17, how does Children of Promise support local economies around the world? One of my favorite things that most people never think about is this. 
we, we support local economies around the world by A, monthly distribution of resources purchased locally, B, by hiring American expats to do business with, C, by sending all resources overseas by freight. Which way do we do? I hope you can follow along with that. Okay. Now this one's a total guess, unless you talk to Chris occasionally, because he, he was at one of these, but what does GLF stand for? This is a new thing for us this year, and it's already been a game changer. A, the Global Leadership Fund, B, Global Learning Forums, or C, Go, Lead, Follow? Take a guess. I know most of you hate me right now. The people who get serious about this, they hate this question, because they're like, I have no clue. But, sorry. A, B, or C? All right, 19. Um, what is the purpose of the GLF? <laughs> don't, don't, don't fret, don't fret. Okay, A, opportunity to invest in global volunteers. B, foster opportunities for regional relationships. C, cross-pollination of best practices. D, introduce prospective partners from the U.S. to international Children of Promise leaders. Or E, all of the above. It's okay to change 18 if you have any inclination to. Okay, let's finish it up, 20. Which of these ways can you choose your own adventure this 30th birthday year with Children of Promise? A, invite our team to your church, check. B, join a US global adventure, Casmeric, check. C, host your own adventure, no checks, I don't think. D, help another adventure on their journey, or E, all of the above. All right, I think you guys know that one. We'll come back to that. All right, let's finish it up. But well, before we finish it up, let's do two pop quizzes I forgot. Okay, this is another hand raiser for a t-shirt or something else if you want something else. Okay, so raise your hand. What percentage of our global national leaders, okay, not all of our volunteers, our national leaders are female? What percentage do you think? Take a stab. 50%. Fair guess. I like it. Hedging his bets. 73%. Okay. You said 80. Okay. Anybody else? You're going to say something? <laughs> well, we're just playing prices right. Okay. That's fine. Okay. The answer is 65% of our national directors. Now, what's really, really cool and I love about Children of Promises is not only are the majority of our national leaders female, but I would say it's probably closer to 90% of our volunteers are female. It is given in some cultures where women do not have as much opportunity as their male counterparts in that place, they are leading and they are changing lives because of this program. And let me tell you a quick story about why this is so important. In 1992, when the first few nominations for children came across our founder's desk, our, our founders' names are Sydney and Jean Johnson, husband and wife. Jean, the wife, said very famously in our office, where are all the girls? They were all boys. All the first 15 nominations were all boys. And she said, no. And they wrote back to the director and said, you need to send us equal amount of girls that we're not starting there. And so from the very beginning, we have empowered girls and boys equally, always, in every country. It's one of our highest policies in our policy book. And if you follow global development at all, which it's sad it took us this long to figure this out, but in the last 20 years, there has been a ton of research and scholarship around the idea that the most rapid way to change a community in poverty is to empower the women equally to their male counterparts. Because, duh, it's math. 
When everybody has an opportunity that is equal, the community can grow up quicker. And if you travel internationally at all, you've probably noticed that in many places, women are doing the brunt of the work in and around the community where the children are. So when they're empowered equally, the community grows quicker. quicker. So I love that about Children of Promise, and that came on from the early days. So uh, I think you said 73, right? Who, somebody's, oh, you said, yeah, you won. Rolling wins. Okay. <laughs> Um, all right, the second question I want to ask you, and this is a really, really hard one, I know, but whoever gets closest can get a shirt too. Who can tell me what you think are the three, um, our three biggest programs in the world? Just take a wild guess. If you can get one even, that'd be great. Chris thinks he knows. I've mentioned a few, I've, I've tiptoed around these today, so you maybe, okay, the Philippines, what else? Okay. That would help you out. I mean, you could really get a lot there. Just say continent. Costa Rica. Okay. Anybody else want to try to level up? I'm not going to tell you how many got right. Hmm? Yeah, what are our three biggest countries, the most children in them? Yeah, not in Sri Lanka. That's good memory. Okay, we're, we're, we're kind of at a tie right now. Who said Tanzania? Ed? Ooh, getting closer. Anybody want to try that one last try? Okay. All right, we'll stop there. Ed, right? You win. The answer is Philippines is our biggest program. Tanzania and Uganda are basically tied. Nobody got Uganda, but you got two of those right. Good job. I'm impressed. Yeah, so our programs tend to grow at the speed the local leadership wants them to grow. Costa Rica has been at 42 kids for a while now because that's where they see the need. And they have to build out those, those, their systems to grow bigger. Some of our programs that are very large are large for two reasons. A, there's a lot of need in the country where they are. B, they have systems in place. In Uganda, we have multiple Church of God schools where there are many children who get into the school through the program. So it's very easy to do everything. They're at the school, so you, they write child letters. They're at the school, so you get distribution. You get it, it's easy. Tanzania is actually different. It's very spread out, as I mentioned. Our leaders there just rock. They're amazing, very organized, and they have dozens and dozens of Church of God volunteers all over Tanzania that do the distribution. But also because it's so spread out, the families just have to, they, 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 they see the need and they go for it. I was blown away in Mbulu, Tanzania, high up in the mountains on the escarpment, the Rift Valley, you may have heard of that, high up on the mountain, there's a town up there called Mbulu, and our kids walk, I'm not making this up, nine hours on average to get to the church to get distribution every month. Nine hours. I don't even let my kids walk down the street without me. These kids are little. I'm talking like kindergarten, first, second, third graders. No parent, their parents are like they're subsistence farmers, they're working on the farm so they can eat that night. The kids walk eight, nine hours in the mountain roads, which I was like car sick in the car, and they're walking to get the distribution. This is the life that these kids live, but the program is giving them an option, and, and we see that all over the world. All right, um, so yeah, Ed, you get a prize later. Just come up to the table, we're done. All right, let's finish it up. 17, we, oh, I skipped 16. Um, 
this is, a, this is through the Christmas and birthday fund A, but we have a new way to give at Christmas we're so excited about called digital gift boxes. Um, I'll show the video here in a minute if we have time, but um, every sponsor in your sponsorship, you can add a few dollars a month and it goes to the Christmas or birthday fund for that kid. Um, anybody could do it. If you don't have a sponsored kid, you could even give $5 just to the Christmas and birthday fund. But because we only work locally, this is what I love about it, we don't ship anything ever to kids, ever. We allow them to purchase it locally. Something that I call shop global. And it's something that's changing communities around the world every month. People don't think about this. So every month there is money flowing in through distribution, but also twice a year, and this is how it looks in most places, most of our directors have a Christmas party once a year. It may not be when you expect. It may be in July. It may be in May. Some of these cultures don't celebrate Christmas like we do. So to get a Christmas present doesn't even necessarily make sense to the kids. So they'll have a party or something in like whatever month works for them to get together. They also often have a big birthday. Some of our directors put these two things together. But here's what I love about it. Instead of us sending something we think they want, our directors look at the needs in the community for that year, for 2022, and they say, this is what we're going to get all the children. So say, say five or six of the kids didn't get any money from their sponsor for Christmas. It doesn't matter. All the children in the community get a Christmas and birthday gift every year. And one of my favorite things, I wish I had the picture loaded, but it's on our Instagram. Our director in Malawi actually had the idea two years ago. Not one kid in our program had ever had a mattress, ever. They sleep on, they sleep on like, mm, like grass mats on the floor with their whole family. That's pretty typical there. So imagine these kids, when they walk into church for the, the Christmas party, and I, we have pictures of this, floor-to-ceiling mattresses, just stacked. And they're all thinking, like, what is, this? what is this for? In fact, they did this in Zambia as well the next year because they copycatted them. And my direct, our director, Milas, in Zambia, she said, they were dead silent for the entire service. In fact, it kind of backfired. It was kind of a buzzkill. So they're having a Christmas party, and the kids were just like, they ate their meal, silence. Because they all wanted to know, are those ours? They couldn't, they didn't even have a, they didn't have a box for that, that that could be their mattress. At the end of the party, the most quiet party ever, they all, they loaded all the mattresses into a pickup truck, and then they started pulling through the neighborhood, and the kids realized, those are our mattresses. And Milas, our director, said, they started singing. And they sang the whole way through the village, following the truck. Even after it was past their house, they kept following it to see the reaction of their friends and families. Because as I've mentioned before, they're not sleeping on that mattress alone. They're sharing it with their siblings. Most of them have three, four, five siblings, pretty typical in the majority world. And so it was just a beautiful example of locally shaped. Our director decided. And it looks different all over around the world. Another favorite Christmas story that I love, in probably our most dangerous site in the world, it's in Colombia. Uh, we have multiple sites there. A couple of them are rather safe to visit. We take guests. But this one site in the, in the east, it, we've only been there once in 30 years. It's very dangerous. And um, the children are very, very poor, very hard life, flooding every year that destroys half the town. I'm not exaggerating. It's just a hard place. And for Christmas last year, they took all the kids to a shop in town, and they got to, don't miss this, pick out shoes. These kids have never picked out anything in their whole life. And they got to go and shop, shoe shop. And the pictures they sent us were so beautiful. Their faces just so happy. They were excited about shoes, but they were more excited about picking the shoes they wanted to pick. They never got to do that in their whole life. And that's the kind of stuff the Christmas fund can do for kids, is it gives them an option to, to choose locally what the kids need the most. 
Okay, I think I've already spoiled this one, basically, but um, every month around the world, A, there is U.S. money flowing into poor communities through our program. One of the coolest examples is in Honduras. Uh, my director, Mike, was there uh, or, or last fall. And here's a cool symbiotic thing. This happens all over the world. The kids need food every month, right? It's a big job to get it all. All these people have other jobs, by the way, even the pastors. They're all bivocational. They're full-time something, and they do Children of Promise. So they're running around like crazy people trying to get things done. And in Honduras, they built a relationship with a Church of God man who's a part of the congregation that owns a grocery store. So every month, they purchase the goods for the children from his grocery store. He and his, his staff at the grocery store organize it all. So when it's time for distribution, it's just sitting there in piles, ready. And the team comes and takes it to the children. But he, I hope you didn't miss this. He's getting paid every month. It's a symbiotic relationship happening all over the planet because we only purchase locally. This is what we mean by shop local. So you're not only supporting a child, you're supporting a whole community. And that's why we say we're changing communities around the world through its children. That's what we mean by that. Okay. Uh, this is the Global Learning Forum. Um, we're going to talk real quickly about that. Chris was at this this year with me. But if you probably guessed, it's all of the above. Okay, Not number 19. The idea behind this was very simple. We have a thousand volunteers around the world. They never get paid. Many of their children are in the program, I should say. So they are benefiting in that way, the volunteers, because they themselves are very poor. But we wanted to have a way to give back to them. Because some of these people have done this for 20 years. 25, some of them 30 years. They've poured their lives out every month of the year for these kids. It's amazing the amount of work they do. So the Global Learning Forum is a new idea. Tanzania was our first one ever, where we raised money to fly all of the national directors and some of the subdirectors into Tanzania for a four-day learning forum. It was not a training event from us Americans. It was a cross-pollination, where they got to talk, share best practices. We had people share stories. Uh, different, of, of different facets. Um, Chris shared at one point a little bit. I shared a thing. We did a, we did a fun exercise where every country had to share a parable from their local context. What, my favorite one was from uh, Malawi, actually, where it says in the local dialect, um, when you're on top of the elephant, don't forget the gnat. And what it means is, if you have a lot of power, don't forget everybody down on the ground. And so we got to all hear cool parables from each of those cultures. I even shared some American parables. They were very contradictory in a lot of ways, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> our, our parables don't exactly match up with each other, but um, we had a lot of fun with that. We did worship together, and we did, like, people shared different things. The people from the big programs like Uganda, they shared some of their best practices of how they grew as a program. In our program in Botswana, where there's less kids, they were, like, taking copious notes, like, oh, that's why we're having a hard time getting a hold of families. That's why we're having a hard time getting letters, that kind of stuff. In fact, some of our directors flew home from that meeting and had many GLFs in their home communities for their volunteers because they were so excited about what they learned. And our goal is to have one of these every year in our regions. Our next one is in May in Thailand, in Bangkok, Thailand. We'll be having our eight or nine Asian countries come in for a meeting there. And then the following year, we'll probably be in Latin America. We'll have our next one. So it was our first go at it. We have a lot to learn, but it was amazing. If it's as first goes, go. <laughs> All right, final one, and then we'll, we're going to start wrapping it up. Um, this year for our 30th birthday, there were many, many ways, and still are, to partner with Children of Promise. We've been, I think this is like our 28th church visit this year, which is insane, maybe 30th even. So we've been to a lot of churches, which has been so fun. 
We've been having adventures around the world. We climbed Kilimanjaro this June to raise money for Children of Promise, raised a few thousand dollars doing that. Um, people have been hosting their own adventure. Um, something I want to share with you, and I'll show you maybe here in a second. On our website, we have a new campaign page. Now, it's very simple. Chris says he wants to go somewhere next year with us. I'm sure he probably does, because he always wants to travel. So Chris says, I want to go to Pakistan. Thank you. <laughs> so on our website, it takes about 10 minutes. It's like setting up a Facebook account. Chris can say, Chris's Pakistan trip. He can set a goal. He can write all about it. He can even post a YouTube video if he wants. And then people from around the movement and here at this church can support him in going on that trip. Now, I, I, I'm still hesitating to say it because it hasn't run out yet, but every person in this first year we've had this campaign page who started a trip page has been fully funded. There are people around the movement who will just donate to this because they want to help people travel. So if you've ever wanted to travel around the world, they were like, I can never afford it. I guarantee you, you can afford it. I guarantee it. People of all different backgrounds have traveled with us around the world. You've got to be willing to ask for help, though. That's what a lot of Americans stop at. <laughs> if you ask for help, I promise you, you'll find the funding to go. And so that campaign page is an easy way to do it. It's just at childrenofpromise.global. You'll see campaigns right at the top, and you can set it up. You can also, of course, support other people in going on their journey. Okay, so we will, I already talked about all that. Let's see who won, right? Okay, I never know how to do this right, make it fast, but who only missed, missed, incorrect? Who got three incorrect? Two incorrect, anybody? Does anybody get more than 18 right? Did you get 20? Well, that's what we got for you for advancing the mission for this week. Um, we are, he's wrapping up right now, so I am just going to say thank you for sticking with us and watching all of this video, and we will uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye.